Hi, everyone. Welcome to Better Together and As We podcast. For future reference, As We, as an ASWE, stands for the Alzheimer's Society of Windsor and Essex County. This podcast will feature engaging conversations with guests ranging from community leaders to care partners and persons living with dementia to raise awareness about this disease. You're listening to Better Together, an As We podcast, and this is episode 22. My name is Cindy, and I'm joined today by Christopher Menard. Christopher Lawrence Menard is an actor, director, photographer, designer, and a poet. Christopher is also very heavily involved with the community and is currently employed with the City of Windsor in cultural affairs. Christopher was also a care partner to his wonderful dad, Tom Menard, whom I had the pleasure of meeting and getting to know throughout his dementia journey. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. It's great to be here with you. All right, so I just want um, the audience to get to know a little bit about who Christopher Menard is. So could you tell me a little bit about yourself your, and your career? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father. Um, I am a brother to six siblings. Um, I work in cultural affairs with the city of Windsor, um, which is an amazing department. Uh, we oversee the sculpture park at the waterfront, the museum downtown, arts funding for arts, culture, and heritage groups, the Poet Laureate Program, the Storytellers Program, Willistead Manor, uh, Mackenzie Hall. It's just a whole assortment of incredible facilities, programs, assets uh, that all fall under culture, art, and heritage. And so I um, design programs, I write grants, I host events, um, help put up sculptures, sort of you name it, and I'm involved in some way. So how did you get into this job? Uh, when I was in high school, actually, I started working for the city um, front desk at a community center. And so, you know, I said hello to people when they walked in, goodbye when they left and told them where the bathroom was. Um, <laughs> and so I really, I did that through the end of high school, start of university. Um, I worked at McKenzie Hall a bit during that time. And uh, then I went and worked in finance after I was finished my own university degree. And when the opportunity came up to um, return to the city in a position that had something to do with what I love, um, I jumped at it. In my in my personal life, I'm an actor, I'm a, a writer. Um, you know, the creative arts have always been a huge passion for me, a huge part of my world. Um, so it was a, a real way to merge what I did professionally with what I do personally and creatively and sort of build a life that uh, was fun. So I knew about you um, before I even could put a face to name um, really? because I met your parents and you you just said that you had six siblings, right? Yeah. So I have, uh, well, my parents, I do have six siblings actually. So that's how your mom started talking about all of your um, siblings as a whole. And um, I remember her talking about you and just her glow and her smile. And um, I believe this was in the beginning stages of the adoption process with your son, maybe. Yeah. So I I was like, wow, like this is amazing. Like she, for each, I just found it so incredible because for each kid, she took the time to explain, you know, what you guys were doing in your life, um, the, your differences, but all the things that made you guys similar and how much you guys appreciate family and help out, you know, with your dad's journey and with her, you know, going through it. And I'm like, 
that's what it's all about having you know a huge family and everybody contributing um the best way possible amazing group of people they um <laughs> you know i i joke that i got the best of mom and dad because i'm the youngest in the family and so you know my siblings had already put them through everything they could possibly imagine so by the time i came along they weren't really shocked by anything you know they weren't um overreactive to anything and they were just incredibly always incredibly loving supportive um you know, I'm always, I always remember whenever I did a play, mm -hmm. uh, I would usually have to block out the first two rows for mom and dad in the middle and, and siblings and their spouses and whoever else was, was coming along. There's a so huge a, gap, right? Between, very big gap. Yeah. What was the gap? I remember your mom telling me that. So my oldest sister uh, is 20 years older than me. And so there's like, I, they're all a year apart. The first mm -hmm. five are a year apart. I, I tell people my mother was just always pregnant um and then there's a huge gap there's a 10-year gap uh and then there's my sister mary who you met yeah um and then three and a half years later i came along yeah okay and so the one thing that i asked her i was like so you know from having you know uh is it five five yeah five kids and then having that gap and then having your two younger ones what was the one thing that you learned um from that experience and she said i had the most patience for mary and christopher um yeah my siblings always say you know the things that mom and dad let you guys sort of not get away with but the things they let you do that didn't even phase them Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know, by the time we were there, I mean, they really had seen it all. Yeah. And I think mom and dad, they both really learned that, you know, if you step back from anything in life and breathe for a second, uh, chances are you'll be okay. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I always felt that as part of their parenting style. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so now moving into parenting style, you yeah. adopted your son, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah, we um, in 2016, we began a process. Um, and so my husband and I uh, decided we wanted to build our family through adoption um, for several reasons. Um, and that took about two years. It's a it's a, you know, sort of it's a trek. Um, and then 2018, we met uh, we met the little boy that uh, that would become our son um, Easter weekend 2018. And I remember uh, we went and met him and then we had to go have uh, fish and chip, like Good Friday dinner with my family at Allegiant. And so dad was there, mom was there, everybody was there. And I was sitting on this huge secret that we had, you know, just come from meeting this little guy. Um, it was important to me when we talked about uh, becoming dads, I, I really wanted for my child to be able to meet my father. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, by 2018, I mean, Dad had so many things coming at him uh, health-wise that by 2018, I was really in a place of not knowing, um, I guess I was in a place of knowing we had less time ahead than we did behind. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was it was really important to me that uh, that whoever came into my world that I would parent, that that they would have an opportunity to meet this man who, you know, shaped me and, and has affected every part of my life. Mm-hmm. And how did that go for you, for, for your son and your dad? Amazing. They, um, you know, uh, by the time, by the time my little guy came into the picture, dad had a lot of memory issues and occasionally he would call him the wrong name. 
Uh, but he always remembered that they both loved chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> Every time we walked into the apartment, dad would call him over to show him where his hidden stash was, which he never forgot. He never forgot where his cookies were. Um, and, you know, they had this bond between the two of them. My son loved seeing him. Uh, my dad would just beam at him. They would play games with my dad's um, chair that would rise up and down with a remote control and they would play hide and seek just behind the chair. Mm -hmm. And they found really their own uh, their own way of of forming a bond and and developing a relationship. And, um, it, you know, it was it was my son's first experience of um, having grandparents, having a grandpa. It was his first experience of uh, seeing someone really sick. Um, uh, of losing someone and um, going to a funeral and sharing stories and memories. These were all first time occurrences um, for my son. And, you know, I, I, at the time you're going through it and you're, you know, when you lose someone, you've got so much grief happening, but it was such a learning experience for a little boy who became part of a family through adoption to get this sense that even when people leave the family because of death, um, love is like this bond. Mm -hmm. um, you can't really, you know, you can't really break. And and I always tell him, you know, disease has got nothing on love. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, they had a great relationship. And he asks about him even now, you know, where do you think grandpa is? What do you think he's doing? Um, you know, do you miss him? Those questions come from from my uh, my little guy all the time. Mm -hmm. And and from experiencing, you know, the whole adoption process, gaining a new mm -hmm. son, but also having your dad go through this, um, you know, terrible disease, what were some key, um, I would say, pointers that, you know, helped you navigate through this? Um, being open and being, you know, honest with, uh, with what dad was experiencing. So I didn't, I, I talked to my son in age appropriate ways. You know, I'm not going to tell him the ins and outs of, of dementia at six, seven and eight years old. Mm -hmm. uh, but we talked a lot about memory and we talked a lot about uh, brain muscles and, you know, how when you're tired, your body, your body is sore and, and you can't do things as well as you could when you were wide awake and you had a lot of energy. And we talked about my dad's brain a lot in the same in the same way that, you know, grandpa's brain uh, was sore. Grandpa's brain had been doing a lot of hard work and it and it was. Uh, more difficult for him to think of things than it was for other people. Mm -hmm. And so I would tell my son, you know, sometimes he might not remember your name. Sometimes he might not remember something that um, you told him or something you experienced together. But if you watch his face, you will always have a smile from him. If you hug him, you will always feel the exact same person, uh, you know, who was there with you from the start from when you met mm -hmm. so we had a lot of those conversations so that he understood that my dad was going through something that it was a sickness that it was a, a journey that it would get worse um but that we had an opportunity to really make the most of it mm -hmm. and uh create some amazing memories and it also helped me talk to him a lot about storytelling i you know as a as a writer and, and as a poet, stories are so important to me. The entire concept of, of what you can, um, what you can learn from someone, what you can capture and then share is so amazing. Podcasts do it, movies do it, everything does it. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, I was able to talk a lot about that 
the, the storytelling process with my son. And I would tell him after a visit with my dad, you know, why don't you draw a picture of the visit with grandpa today? Why don't you write something that you really loved about, about what happened with you guys? And so now he's got these, you know, a collection of, of moments and, and memories. Mm -hmm. um, I read, um, you know, just a little passage about, you know, why you wrote uh, your book. Um, mm. I, we're veering off. Sorry, we're going to veer off a little bit just because. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, you said that the poets were a way of, you know, sharing your experiences, sharing your stories, um, you know, through your perspective of being a father, a son, um, and a brother. So what are some key um, things that you've learned as a care partner throughout your dad's dementia journey? Uh, that every moment is super precious. And, you know, it, that sometimes the most challenging moments are where the greatest opportunity for growth and learning exists. Mm -hmm. um, but also that it's all, okay, that it's all part of it. You know, I, I did a lot of research when dad was first diagnosed and, and it was all about, okay, I'm going to learn everything I need to know about the diseases, what his body will do, what his mind will do, what, what each um, stage, how each stage will show up, what that will look like so that I am uber prepared for everything that could possibly come at me. And um, it's great to have that. You have to have that knowledge. It creates the base, but the day-to-day -day experience is completely different. And it changes from moment to moment. And uh, so it was important for me to learn that it was all okay. Whatever was going on at the time was where we needed to be, what was supposed to be happening. Also, the big takeaway for me was everybody has a different role to play when you've got a caregiver team. So I carried a lot of uh, guilt for a while around the fact that I have two sisters who live in the building with my parents who were able to lift dad up off the ground when he fell, who were able to take care of him, who held mom when she was crying. And, and for a while I thought, I've dropped the ball. You know, what am I, what am I not doing that I need to be doing? Mm -hmm. But mom and dad had chosen me to make some of the really uh, difficult decisions at end of life. And so I started to realize that my sister's role was to uh, hold dad through his actual life journey and to um, nurture him through the illness. And that the role I had to play was to actually make sure that his end of life was full of dignity, was full of ease and comfort. And that, you know, mom didn't have to uh, carry him through that part. That when she got to that stage, I could sort of uh, pick up and, and do what I'm good at, which is organizing and making tough decisions and, you know, keeping everyone on track and, and figuring out what happens next? Mm -hmm. um, so that was a, I think that's the biggest takeaway for me was everybody has a role to play. And it, even if you feel like I can't possibly help this situation, you absolutely can. There's something that you can offer that, that is going to be needed. Yep. And all roles are equally important in yeah. every stage of the journey. So I now want to talk about your book. Okay. <laughs> You're a first time author. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, first time in print. Yeah, I've I've written uh, stage plays over the years, and and those have been produced uh, and put up on stage, uh, which you know counts as being published in the world of theater. Um, but uh, this book was my first my first print um, book. How did it, how does it feel? What was the process like for you? 
Uh, incredible. It was, um, I mean, it still feels incredible. It's only been a year, not even. April, you know, this coming April will mark a year uh, since the book was published and launched. Uh, um, it started out uh, really as a, a goal of mine to tell dad's story. That was really how I started. I, you know, I, he had this fascinating life to me, <clears throat> the story of him and mom and, and just, you know, how they got together. My mom was going to be a nun and she meets my dad on the steps of a convent. And, yeah. you know, all of that fascinated me. I know she shared uh, yeah. that with you and, and with your viewers. Um, and so I wanted to, to get his stories before uh, they were gone. And so I had all of these goals about, you know, I will meet with dad, I will sit down with him, we will talk and I will like interview him. It never happened. And it didn't happen because his disease progressed so quickly that even when I decided I wanted to do this, I sat down with him and we were already, you know, doing crossword puzzles together where he was making up words and what he thought he was writing was not what he was writing. And when I would look at the page, it would be a collection of letters that you know didn't mean anything and and this was someone who i was used to um you know never needing the new york times crossword dictionary because he just knew it all mm -hmm. um, and so that was jarring and i sort of stopped my process with the book and i i said to the publisher you know he's too he's too sick at the time i remember saying he's too far gone um which is it's a sad expression but it also is how it feels in the moment uh, like each day he felt a little bit further away. Um, and so I sort of thought I would pause and not do anything with it. But at the same time, I was adopting my son. And so I started thinking about, okay, I want to talk about my dad, but through the lens of fatherhood and parenthood. And now I have this, you know, tiny human coming into my world who I'm parenting. And so what a great, um, what a great link that could be. Then dad got really sick and, uh, you know, it started to seem like, okay, we're nearing uh, the end for him. And so rather than turn away from the book, um, I just started writing a lot. So I would, um, I'd be at the long-term care home and I'd visit with dad and then I would go to my car and I would sit and write, you know, for 30 minutes before I drove home. Um, or I would wake up early before work and before getting my son ready for school. And I would write down some of what I'd experienced the night before. Uh, I had conversations with mom and, and they would turn into poems in my head about, you know, what happens between uh, people who are married when one of them has dementia and is at the end of life. And so I dove into the book. And when dad passed, uh, the book was probably half done. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I took my bereavement time that, you know, was, was available to me through work. And I just sat and wrote every day um, until I finished the book. And so, you know, there are, there are poems in, in the, the book that focus on my childhood, some early moments with myself and my father. Um, you get to meet my son and, and sort of go through the adoption journey with, with, with us. Um, and then the book hits a point where it really, zeroes in on what's going on with dad um and you know you follow him through uh his end of life and sort of the family um coming together and picking up and surrounding mom uh after that time and then it um it culminates with a poem that i that i wrote after you know dad had passed we'd had his funeral and uh my family my um 
my husband, my son, we went, we went to Toronto for a weekend just to sort of get away and, and regroup. And uh, there was a moment uh, in an aquarium when my, my son asked me a question and uh, everything sort of coalesced, I guess. Um, everything came together, this, this idea of life and journey and cycles and, and fatherhood. And, and that piece that I wrote from that ended up uh, sort of closing out the book. Um, so it's a, it's a story of, of dad's life, my life, my, my son, it's about memory, um, storytelling, photography, and how it, you know, stands in for memories when they go away. Um, it's all of that, mm -hmm. I think. I love how you tied in storytelling into your, your poems, um, mm. and, and how it, it just shows who you are as a person and, you know, just, it's so wild, the circle of life, right? Mm -hmm. yeah so wild and then I read something when you're like in one of your um interviews and it's you said you know when something happens or um who hugs us who looks after us and you said you also said like when we're gone who tells our stories who writes about us right. I just found that so incredible because you know it's true like once you're gone like who, who who's gonna tell your story if if your own children don't you know what I mean yeah and when i mean that for me solidified when when i was watching dad um struggle with memory loss and you know it's so frustrating not just for the people around uh not just for the caregivers and the team but the actual the actual person is the one not able to access those memories and sometimes unaware that those memories are even there that mm -hmm. there's this life that they don't know that they lived and you know, he would tell me stories and they would be um, half from the present, half from the past, and some that were completely made up. Mm -hmm. And they would all be um, jumbled together into this fantastic narrative. And, you know, people tell you when that's happening, you go along with the person, you, you don't tell them they're wrong, you just see where the story takes you. Mm -hmm. And watching that with dad, it became so clear to me that if I was going to capture my most clear and crisp images of who he was I had to do it now mm -hmm. and if I didn't then I ran the risk of of that really being gone um you know and the book has taken on a, a whole different meaning in my family um we got together on on the uh, one year anniversary of his death and and we all gathered at the cemetery and uh, we read some of the poems from the book um you know, mom went there for a few months after the book was published and every every other day she would bring a lawn chair and she'd just read a few more poems. And, you know, I, I wasn't there, but I knew she was doing this. And it it really kept that um, that feeling of dad's presence uh, alive. Mm -hmm. And I, I would be at work and I would just have a moment where I thought, my mom is at a cemetery right now reading my book to my dad who is the same person who was center row, front of a theater for every single thing that I ever did creatively, um, who now has a book about him. I wrote it, but it's about him. And, you know, that to me is, uh, he always described himself as just a regular guy. Um, and I never saw him as just a regular guy. My family always saw him as this, you know, patriarch hero and to sort of see him immortalized in a in a book that's also an ebook so people who are you know much younger than than he was can uh read them on their tablets 
uh, that that's fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. I think that's incredible, honestly. And, and I've only known your dad for like, I would say six to eight months, you know? Um, and throughout those six to eight months, um, all I've heard was good things about him, his smile, um, just his life journey. And um, I'm so happy you did this because I want everybody to know who Tom Menard is. Um, Same. <laughs> incredible, incredible man. And your mom is amazing too. Oh, oh my goodness. She, I can, so yeah. That, maybe that can be your next project because she well, is, did I yeah, just she's spill something? So incredible. No, 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 not at okay. all. Okay. No, what happens for me is whenever I, whenever I do an event to read from the book, um, I'm always amazed at how much of a character I'm in, in the book. I always thought it was, you know, my dad, me, my son, those are the main uh, people. But there's an entire collection of poems inside of that book where it's all mom. It's mm -hmm. her point of view. It's her perspective, her experiences. And, you know, she really, I mean, you didn't have my dad without my mom. And, you know, she said something when you chatted with her um, on this podcast. She talked about the idea of better together to her also being about the caregiver and the, the person with dementia. Mm -hmm. that the two of them were actually better with each other. And so it's not surprising to me that the sort of best pieces in the book uh, focus on those two and, you know, who they are to each other. Um, yeah, she, it's, it's very much about her. Mm -hmm. um, you can, it's, there's no easy caregiving role, um, but certainly the one that she took on was was the heavy lifting and you know she never made it seem like heavy lifting she always made it seem like an honor to take care of dad like she would have rather been nowhere else um and you know she really um she was his rock and in the same way she held him up he held her together mm -hmm. uh, um it was a really uh beautiful dynamic to watch and you know you talk about things that you learn when going through something like this, you learn an entirely different way to, to love and show up for people. Yeah. You know, there are times now in my life where I find myself thinking, Oh, I'm stressed. I, so much is going on. I don't know how I'm going to balance it all. And what do I do first? And I have these flashes of like what mom um, set aside to focus on dad. And when I remember that I'm able to like, I feel like, I press pause on the rest of the world, except whatever it is I'm focusing on. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I use that with my son. So I just literally make everything else go away and completely focus on him. And it's uh, amazing what you can learn and experience by doing that. Mm -hmm. Especially in this fast paced world. Um, everybody's yeah. on the go. Everybody's just doing things so quickly. Um, that's what I want to ask you about too. How did the pandemic affect you know, you, you, the relationship with your son. I think that was in the beginning of, right? When we were going through all that, yeah. when you first adopted your son and then your dad's journey as well. Yeah, it was, um, you know, it was the hardest on, on things with mom and dad. I mean, they went from being uh, very social, even in terms of dad's illness. So he was at uh, the Alzheimer's Society three, four times a week sometimes. Uh, he was involved in the programs, um, you know, and and I, uh, it brought such uh, relief 
to know that he was there and he was engaged and he was doing that. He was meeting people who were going through what he was. He was meeting you and the team there and he felt like he had friends. And, you know, when I would visit them, he would tell me about it. Um, I would go pretty much, I work at City Hall. Um, and so I would, their apartment is close by. So on lunch hours, I would frequently go over and visit. And I was super connected to them. And then the pandemic hit. And because of the nature of my work, uh, I was part of the mayor's office team that was rolling out programs to support folks experiencing homelessness who also had COVID. And we were dealing with the vaccination centers and the pop-up clinics. So I was a super risky person to be near dad. Uh, and the big fear, of course, was don't let him get pneumonia. Don't let him get COVID. Don't let him go into the hospital. Not only because of his health, but because it would set off um, sort of a trigger for his dementia and it would make it worse for mm -hmm. weeks at a time. Um, so as a result, I had to FaceTime them or visit in the hallway, um, you know, do a quick, how are you? So he and I had a lot of phone conversations, which are tricky for him when he couldn't see your face and he didn't have you in front of him. It was easier for the dementia to make him not know who you were and yeah. who he was talking to. Um, so, you know, for him, I think he felt like he wasn't seeing us because he would forget that he had, mm -hmm. and, you know, he would forget that he had spoken with us. And for us, when I would see him, it was such a progression from the last time. Um, and it was alarming. And then I felt helpless. Like I couldn't, um, couldn't get mom out. I couldn't, you know, help get her, you know, to, a coffee shop or I don't know my sister would take her to get her hair done things that she had always done and she couldn't they were really just them yeah so it was like mom and dad against the world and I felt like whatever I was doing at work was trying to make COVID better across the board and that that would somehow help them at the end of the day um and I remember one day mom sending me a picture of dad with a bag that the Alzheimer's Society had dropped off it was this care bag and I said, oh, this is amazing. I didn't know that this society did that. Can you send me that picture? So she sent it to me. I said, can I put it on Facebook? And she said, well, what do you want to put it on Facebook for? And I said, well, I have an idea. So I went to the mayor, uh, Mayor Dilkins for the city of Windsor. And I said, you know, the Alzheimer's Society is doing this amazing thing. And people probably think that their family members are just alone right now. And they don't have anyone helping. So why don't we post this picture and just say, hey, the society does this. Thanks so much hang in there, you know, we're all stronger together. Mm -hmm. And so we did, and there was a great response to it. And then we started doing the same thing for restaurants, for businesses, for uh, people who were feeling really cut off. And, and, you know, it was a small thing, but it had a big impact. And I feel like it's very much my dad to be part of something like that and not know that he was. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then the flip side of it is, it ended up being the end of dad's life, really. Which means that for the last two years of his life, he had mom attentive and with him in a way that the world forced her to be because of COVID. But they had this time together that I know was so necessary mm -hmm. um, for her to sort of come to terms with what was happening, for her to come to an understand, move past frustration, and come to an understanding of who she needed to be for him at the end. Um, 
and so they got this time that they wouldn't have had um under any other circumstances i guess and so it's a sort of a bizarre flip side of the coin in the same way that you know my husband and i got tons of time to be at home with our son and you know bond with him and and continue getting to know him mm -hmm. during that time i feel like everybody had to um you know uh push the the past the uncomfortable feeling of being around you know family or close ones because we we never were able to spend time with them except for maybe weekends right or special holidays right and suddenly it was the the name of the game it was what mm -hmm. you had to do um you know it was also you asked what was the like what was it like with my son and you know how that juxtaposed with what was going on with mom and dad and one of the struggles that i faced was i had to go to work each day and so we would have to find uh child care for my son and it ended up being my husband's mother who's retired and healthy and you know could step up and step in and mom and dad couldn't and mm -hmm. that was a i mean i was fine with it but i know it was a huge struggle for mom and you know she still will say to me like i lost so much time with isaiah and i couldn't help out and i feel terrible about that and i would say mom you had no idea what dad would be like on a given day mm -hmm. and the situation could become so unpredictable so quickly but it's such an example of the kind of sacrifices that caregivers have to make um that you never think as a grandparent i might not see my grandchildren as much as i want to but the reality is you're in that moment your main priority and your main focus is to to be there for the person who needs you most mm -hmm. uh, so it was I think I I'm thankful for FaceTime. I'm thankful for technology that allowed us to sort of stay connected. Mm -hmm. I'm thankful too, because that time was rough and we're still going through it a little bit, but during those huh. two years, oh yeah. Um, it affected a lot of us. One thing that, uh, your mom said during the, the podcast with her is she said, um, I'm not me without Tom. Mm. And when she said that, your dad just oh my god he just bursted in tears and he i just i couldn't even believe that like him sitting there um while your mom was talking and he would just you know very casually and quietly put in his you know his two sentences or like his comments and he knew you know everything that she was saying um you know about him and and the journey and things like that it was just it was just so cool to see the dynamic of your mom and dad um doing that podcast. And of course your sister, um, Mary is, is yeah, it was such a snapshot of like what it's really like, you know, um, mm -hmm. they are the two people who know each other best. And what was fascinating to me when I said, dad never forgot where his chocolate chip cookies were. Um, <laughs> he never forgot who mom was to him. I mean, he might have times where he mistook her for someone else, or he was in a particularly bad moment and you know he wasn't really aware of where he was but she had an ability to immediately calm him and they got each other in a whole different way than i'd ever even really seen before from the two of them mm -hmm. and they'd always been close and then you see in that in that interview with them you know my sister sort of hovering behind them and, and making sure dad's okay and making sure he has what he needs but also stepping up with a laugh or a moment of emotional support when mom had a moment where she would start to sort of break and it was such i mean 
we talk about how much of a gift that was. So I promised myself I would say thank you to you oh, when I was face to face with you and had a chance because it, I mean, it's a snapshot of their life at that mm -hmm. point in time. And I think it's important that the last thing my dad says in that podcast is, I hope they find a cure. Mm -hmm. And that's the last full, like coherent, full intentional sentence that my dad really said that I observed in his life mm -hmm. because the next two months, things just really uh, went downhill. And, you know, when we would talk over that, that sort of end portion, not a lot of what he said made sense. Um, so I have that like moment of him making that statement. I hope they find a cure. Um, and it's, it's intentioned and it's purposeful and it's strong. And it comes at the end of, you know, an interview where he's listened to mom talk about the entire journey, everything it takes, everything you lose, everything you gain, everything it requires of you. He listens to all of it. And, you know, there's that, there's that part where you realize these are people, um, who are not, who do not suddenly stop being themselves because of what they're going through. Um, they can still hear you, they can still understand you, and they can still see the effect that what they're facing is having on you. Um, so I thought it was really beautiful that he was able to look to mom and constantly be reinforced mm -hmm. and constantly hear her say, it doesn't matter that it's hard, it doesn't matter that it sacrifices, this is where I wanna be, this is where I have to be. You asked her if she didn't have to sleep at night, what would she do with the extra time? Be with him. Yep. And I think he got to hear that. He got to sit and hear her say, you are the most important thing to me. Um, that's a huge gift. And I think caregivers, if they can understand that that's the power of what they're doing is to give that person that knowledge, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Show love and be love. And, and despite yeah. his diagnosis, he was comforting her too throughout the podcast, oh. which was amazing. Yeah, that's him. That's him. Yeah. Wow. Um, what's one um thing that you can tell um our listeners that you've learned throughout your journey of life this far? Anything that comes to mind? Wow. Um say what you feel. Say what you feel um as soon as it's there for you to say it. You know, we're all gonna take time to figure out how we want to say something, but it doesn't have to be a right moment. Um, I've learned that with my son. I've learned that through dad's journey. Um, you just never know where things are going to take you, what's going to happen, uh, what the world is going to throw at you, what it might take from you. You don't know. So if, you know, if there's, if there's a person in your life that you need to talk to, that you need to be clear with, that you need to, uh, open up to just do it. Um, it's, I never felt when I was writing my book, like I was making up for things I hadn't said to dad. Uh, luckily, he and I had always had a very open relationship where I could tell him anything in the moment mm -hmm. and did. I took advantage of that. Um, and so seeing the end of his life come and just seeing some not even just my siblings, but some people in his world who thought like, oh, I never got a chance to talk to him again, or I never, you know, said, 
hey, I want you to know how you made me feel or what you brought to my life. Uh, people carry that. Mm -hmm. They carry it. and It's really hard to let go of. Um, and so I just think, say what you feel. The first thing that came to my mind was, um, you know, telling people that you love, that you love them. Yeah. And, and letting them hear that because um, you just never know when they'll No, and it's funny, you grow up in these like, I mean, I think it's different now, but you know, I'm 42. And so when I was growing up, there was that concept still of like, dads are the ones that discipline and, you know, they're not really touchy feely and they're not mushy and they don't say, I love you a lot. Um, my dad did, especially near the end of his life, especially mm -hmm. once he'd been diagnosed, there was like a sensitivity that came in that wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. um, and with my son, I mean, he will roll his eyes at me. I'll say to him, hey buddy. And he looks at me and I just smile at him and he goes, I know you love me. And he rolls his eyes and it's a joke between us because I say it so often to him. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like my own, um, my own journey with, you know, uh, a family member with Alzheimer's, with dementia, uh, it, it hammers that home that you, that you have to be totally blunt with people with how you feel mm -hmm. while you can and when they're in a place to hear it. Exactly. So, yeah. No, I'm I'm just going to say keep telling your son it cuz he's going to say it to his kids when he's older. Oh, yeah. That's, that's awesome. So, the name of our podcast is Better Together. From your perspective, what does it mean to you? Oh, man. Um I'm going to approach it from the perspective of from two different viewpoints. Uh family and person in a community who like utilizes uh services. So, uh from the family concept my siblings, my mom, the strength in numbers mm -hmm. and the incredible fortitude that we have as a unit is really unmatchable. Uh, when any one of us was feeling completely low with what dad was going through, you just had to look next to you at the people with you and everybody was lifted up together. Um, their 60th wedding anniversary was celebrated after dad's death. And, you know, we gathered around mom. We gave her a gift on his behalf. We cheersed each other. For his birthday, we stood together. We went to the roof of their building. We made a toast. We looked out at the sunset. Um, you know, we've gathered at his grave and every time we lift each other up. And so better together for me is just, you can do all those things on your own. You can find things that lift you up, that make you feel strong, that give you pause and re reflection. Um, but when you've got someone next to you while you're doing it, whether it's family, whether it's a loved one, whether it's a coworker or someone from an agency like yours, um, there's going to be an increased amount of strength. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're gonna have access to something that you didn't know you needed. Yeah. Um, from the, also from the family perspective, we're just better with our son. I mean, that's just a, <laughs> you know, it's, we always had a great relationship, great life, but I mean, he's walked into it and and it's just like, it's like going from seeing in black and white to seeing in full color, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and I just feel like that uh, it's constantly like a switch and everything's brighter, um, more vibrant. Um, and then from the agency perspective, you know, what you guys bring to families going through what we went through, you cannot measure it. You cannot uh, give it a value. It's just so impactful. 
and you know the supports being at the other end of a phone or an email being able to link people in need with a service that's going to help make their day-to-day -day life better that is as simple as it gets but it's also so huge and that's what it means to me better together is literally just that you can it's a whole different level of strength thank you so much for that thank you wow I, the one thing i wanted to say after you said it's so simple um a simple phone call makes a huge difference so huge call whoever you need to call and check in on them because everybody's going through something um so thank you so much for taking the time out of your already busy schedule to do this podcast with me um i would love for us to finish this podcast with some rapid fire questions these sure. five questions are all random and it allows our audience to get to know a little bit about you okay okay and if you can only answer with one word or one sentence can i just say that this was <laughs> one of my biggest laughs of the pandemic oh. and i must have played the clip like eight times for friends of mine when you asked my mom if she could only eat one food for the rest of her life <laughs> and she said the eucharist and i was like what did you just say <laughs> if you didn't have to sleep what would you would you do with the extra time Oh, I would write. I would write. If you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? <laughs> Pad Thai. Ooh, where's what's your favorite Thai restaurant in Windsor? Thai Palace in Windsor. It's the one um, over on Lozon in the old church. Okay, yes. I know what yeah, you're talking incredible. about. Incredible. What would your perfect Sunday look like? uh coffee in the morning um sitting out at the lake where i live watching the water um going to point peely in the afternoon for a bike ride with the guys and a nice dinner uh and a movie what's for dinner Ooh, can't say pad thai i already used that um sushi i love sushi <laughs> <laughs> What could you give a 40-minute presentation on with absolutely no preparation? Two things, Young and the Restless Ooh. and adoption. Ooh, okay. What's the best piece of advice someone has ever given you? Uh, forgive. Right? No, it's so true. It's so true. It's uh, people get caught up in, in these concepts of forgiveness and how to do it and what it looks like and you know, you can forgive without even having a conversation. And mm -hmm. that's something that I had to learn um, a long time ago and including through the process of the book. And it's, uh, it unlocks again, a different level of strength. So. Mm -hmm. Can you, before we finish our podcast, give your book a shout out. So the name. I will actually, yes. I would love to read a poem if you. Yes, if cool. please. So this is the book. Oh, look, the lighting is bad, but it's called, um, there we go. At the end beginnings, uh, a memoir and poems. And then I'm showing you this image, which is uh, three jellyfish um, mm -hmm. swimming. So I took this picture, the cover picture, uh, when I was on that trip to Toronto um, after uh, dad's funeral, when we just sort of uh, headed out for a bit to get away and regroup. Um, the book is from Black Moss Press. Uh, which is a Windsor publishing house uh, owned and operated by Marty Gervais, uh, Windsor's Poet Laureate Emeritus. Um, and you'll actually, I'll show you here just because it's kind of cool. Um, 
each section begins with a photo. And this one is uh, dad and I. Oh. Yeah. You yeah, guys have the, the same thing. smile. <laughs> I know, I know. Actually, there are there are a lot of people who have been telling me like, you realize that, you know, you're looking more and more uh, like your dad all the time. There's there's dad as a very young man. I sent you that picture. Oh, wow, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, you guys do look alike, just even you right now. Oh my goodness. I know, it's nuts. I never used to think it was true, but it, it's true. Um, so this poem is is actually the one that I, that I wrote after that trip to Toronto that sort of, um, brought everything together for me and uh, brought everything together for the book. So if you use it in the podcast, cool. If you don't, totally up to you. Um, it's called, I find my father again. I am at the aquarium with my family in the twisted paths of the jellies gallery, alien creatures propelled through backlit tanks, stinging tentacles reaching for the glass for us. My son's voice quiet in the dark. Where do we go when we die? I can't answer him. I don't know. I've pushed this question away since dad left, disappeared, stopped, released. I gather my son to me, lose myself in the shifting patterns of the jellyfish before us, just beyond the barrier, at the mercy of the water, the push and pull of currents, bodies shaped to ride the waves to survive the crash, floating brains with tendrils that reach out for connection. Three come together, swim apart, entwined even as they separate, like memories that hold on, let go, that burst alive as lights hit them, blink out when shadows shift. They are ancient and magnificent, predate dinosaurs and man, came before families and funerals, before dementia and disease, before adoption and identity, before all of us in these lives we live. I watch them and I see us my father, me, my son, linked, safe, no matter the water's flow. Where do we go when we die? He asks me again. And I catch our reflections in the glass, catch his eyes with my own, touch my finger to his forehead. Here, I tell him quietly, and then press my hand to his heart and here. Thank you so much. Where can, where, where, where can people purchase the book? Uh, blackmosspress.com, also at Biblioasis Bookstore in Walkerville. Um, and then at blackmosspress.com, there's also um, ebooks available as well, if you don't want to buy a, a hard copy. Um, but yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. Um, I hope our listeners have gained a better understanding about what it entails to be a care partner, a father, and a son. So, hey, listeners, my call to action for all of you, how can you help? Educate yourself and encourage others to do the same. Refer your circle of friends and family to our services. Support our events and fundraising campaigns and become a dementia-friendly community. Listen to new episodes on the last Friday of every month on our YouTube channel, Alzheimer Windsor, and don't forget to subscribe. Our podcasts are also available on Spotify and Amazon Music. Help for today, hope for tomorrow, and remember, we are better together. Thank you so much, Christopher. Thank you. This was great.